Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Friends, I want to introduce to you one of our new partners. It is GuideServe. They are our financial partner who helps us take care of all of our nickels and noses, so to speak. Uh, GuideServe is an outsourced accounting partner for our, our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Uh, GuideServe provides professional accounting solutions to churches and ministries all across the country. And they offer, they truly offer some comprehensive accounting and payroll solutions to organizations ranging from just beginning church plant to large churches and expansive ministries. And listen, if you'd like to know more about them, you can visit their website at guideserve.com or send them an email at info at guideserve.com. And by the way, if you mention BSCM, uh, when you do, it'll be a benefit to us as well. So welcome our new partner, Guideserve. Well, folks, I want to welcome you to another broadcast of uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness. It's the uh, podcast from uh, our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. And we're always here to talk about things that matter to pastors in our convention and, and how we can move forward the gospel here in Michigan, how we can really punch holes in the darkness, as the title of our podcast is. We have some extremely wonderful, great pastors with us today, and we're going to be talking about something that's in the headlines and the news all of the time. And that's what's going on with all of the uprising and with the, the hate and the bigotry and the racism that has taken place in the past and is still going on and the deaths that have come about. And how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we approach that as pastors? And one of the things I want to make sure of is that our convention of pastors, the people in the family we call the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, has and understands the perspective of our African-American pastors and people within our family. Uh, it's, we don't always know. We don't always understand. We don't always get it because we all come from different walks of life in different places. But I'm just telling you, my friends, this, this plague of racism Unlike our COVID-19, it's not invisible. It is not invisible. And we're seeing it far, far too much. I believe it's time for every pastor, every legislator, every Christian, every leader, every governmental agency to put forth the same effort that we have been putting forth to fight the coronavirus that we have put and put it forth to fight the racial virus that we're dealing with. So, uh, I'm just saying we've got to have some effort in this deal. Here, let me tell you what one pastor said out of California as I introduce all this. He said, we must stand and fight. This is Pastor uh, Charles Blake at West Los Angeles Church. He said, we must stand and fight, not by looting and burning buildings, but by standing together in love and unity while we seek the Lord for strategy, which will eradicate this awful blight of racism among us and within us. Uh, that's a great pastor out there on the West Coast saying that. Let me tell you, one, uh, give one other quote from another pastor you may recognize, and that's Rick Warren. He says, with, with each new incident, 
all of us are more outraged and ashamed and discouraged and depressed that this kind of injustice is still happening to our brothers and sisters in America in the 21st century. It's so, so very wrong. It's shocking, appalling, outrageous, disgraceful to witness how deeply rooted racism still is in our country. We know it makes God angry, and it makes us angry too. And I, I just, I, I just want to get those two quotes from those pastors because they seem to embody everything I'm feeling, and I know many, many of you are feeling as well. So let me introduce some of our guests for us today. Uh, we have uh, Brother Larry Johnson, who is at Middle Belt uh, Baptist Church. He's a great pastor and leader in our convention over there in Inkster. And we have uh, Ken Neither, who's at Crossover in Farmington Hills. And then uh, we have uh, Cornelius Roberson, who's at Heart and Soul Community there in Detroit. And uh, as well as two of our other uh, pastors, we have Roy Henry, who is the pastor at Faith Baptist in Battle Creek. And then Mike Durbin, who is our leader in our strengthening uh, ministries here at the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. So with all that being said, gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you being with us on the podcast today. What I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask some of our pastors, our African-American pastors, if you can share your perspective of being a, a, an African-American pastor in the Detroit metro area. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Ken Neither, if you share your heart with us, Ken, some of that questions that we've just talked about. Ken, why don't you start with us? Absolutely. Pastor Tim, thank you for having me. I think this conversation is important and necessary as we make steps together to move forward. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is when we created the world, uh, there's something called right-hand bias. And right-hand bias is that everything that we see in America and, and even in the world is really made for a right-handed person. Right-handed coffee cups, even the Apple Watch is made for right-handed people. And if you're right-handed, you might even be thinking right now, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about because you're not left-handed. If you were left-handed, you would understand right-hand bias. I remember being in elementary school and I used to look at kids who were left-handed, the way they would write on the desk, they would have to turn their paper because even the desks were made for right-handed people. And so I think we're living in a world in America that it's right-hand bias specifically, sometimes we don't know whether it's intentional or not for uh, people and minorities to be the left-handed people. And I think it's important to have this conversation uh, for us to come together and realize whether it's intentional or not, sometimes even in our churches, some things are created uh, not for minorities. So I think it's important for us to have conversation in order for us to move forward. Uh, when I, we look at World War II, you had blacks and whites and they might've had some differences, but when they were in the foxhole, they realized they needed to be, get, be together because there was an enemy that they were fighting. So I think it's important right now as we look at one another and there's tension high, there's a real enemy out there and we need to come together, have conversations like this because whether you're white or black, you are not my enemy. We know who the enemy is and this is spiritual warfare. And I think we need to understand that this is, this is not against flesh and blood. We need to come together, pray together, unite together in order for us to take some next steps moving forward. 
Ken, Ken, I think you're exactly right. And that was one of the things I, I didn't state it quite as eloquently as you did with the idea of right-hand bias. But, I, but that's one of the things I wanted us to address is that there is a bias and sometimes we don't even know it. We are just, that's our, that's our culture. That's our life. And uh, we don't recognize those things. And that's why I want you gentlemen to help us see and understand what's going on and uh, recognize those biases that we might have and how then we can talk about how to overcome those. So uh, listen, Cornelius, uh, if you're still there, my friend, yes, sir. why don't you speak to this too, if you wouldn't mind, sir? You know, um, being a Detroiter, uh, born and raised, uh, it's almost like saying this 100-yard dash and you got a 90-yard start on it. That we as African-American preachers, we have to do three times as much work to be considered borderline equal. We have to develop more, we have to resource more, we have to shop more, we have to do more, and the funding is not there. And so we have to even financially uh, get more savvy and idealistically to develop ideals to um, bridge the gap. Um, you know, sometimes we hear this, this statement and this question, but the problem started in the concept of America. America was started on racism. It, it was created, it was birthed here where the Indians were removed and the Negro was enslaved. And even it goes as far as the women had to fight for rights and kids had to fight for rights. And America is just that what it is. And for hundreds of years, we have dealt with this uh, scenario as church planners, as, as preachers and teachers of understanding what we're up against. It's almost like climbing up with Mount Everest with no rope. It's almost like you're on the slippery slope of life, but yet still God is calling us. God is telling us. God is promoting us to reach men and women with his love and never ever look back and say, because of this, this is why I'm doing this. We do this because I love people. I love God. First of all, I love God more than anything else. Then I love my family. And I love my community. So we, as a, in a community, as a black perspective, we have always had this um, isolated community that we had to um, um, develop. We had to teach. We had to read. We had to, uh, matter of fact, it was illegal for us to read at one point of time in American history. So we can't just jump in the middle of the river and say, what's wrong with us? It's, it's, it's how do we start? How do we get here? And what does it take to get out of this situation. I think first and foremost that the church has abandoned its call. I think the church has neglected the people of God the, based on color, uh, skin tone. I mean, SBC alone. And look at the history of the Southern Baptist Conference where some were slave owners. That some would directly disapprove of this even conversation because of the marginalization that they see that we can oppress people, but yet still say we love God. You know, when I was a kid, I thought the most horrible thing I ever heard was the slave ship uh, captain reading the Bible with 300 souls on, underneath him uh, going into bondage. And I'm like, well, where's God in that? Where's, you know, we always hear that, where is God? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? It's called sin. Everybody, everybody's grandfather fell into sin, Adam. And sometimes we as preachers, we don't come to the everybody, we just come to me. And it's not me, it's us. And so now we got a problem, but it started a long time ago. 
Cornelius, that's a great insight with that. And uh, uh, Brother Larry, how about you? Would you give us a little bit of your perspective there? Can you jump in in the middle of this? I remember you asked, I think you asked, you know, our, one of our experiences. One of the experiences that stuck out to me, and we, I, b- I believe Brother Ken, Pastor Ken, and Cornelius have just many ones, but this is the one that stuck out to me. I was, um, my wife was newly pregnant. And I know she was almost about eight months in. So, and my cousin was up from Virginia. I lived in Lansing at the time. And um, we went out to grocery shop and just have some dinner together. And um, I was pulled over. And uh, when I was pulled over, I knew I had to do my plates. I, di- I didn't have the new sticker on. So I, it was within the same month. So when the officer pulled up, I already knew what it was for. So I had my insurance and license out. I said, I know what it's for. I'll, I'll take care of it and I, I'll take the ticket. And, and you know, and um, I knew, you know, so I figured it would go smooth. And within two or three minutes, I had probably 10 cops. Uh, I had tenant windows on my car, legal, and they were all flashlights in and everything. And, and then they asked for my cousin's ID who was sitting next to me. And I said, um, don't give your ID. I said, because the, the issue was with me. So they don't have probable cause to get everybody's ID. At that point, he pulled his gun out on me. And then, um, so then my wife screaming and crying in the back and pregnant with my other daughter, oldest daughter. And I, I had a little spit and fire then. Uh, I was a Christian, but I just, it just wasn't right. So I said, um, I'll give up, you know, don't do not. I told him I'm not going to give you my cousin's ID. Um, but you can have my stuff. And eventually he got mad and irritated. So he took my license back to the car and ran it. And then he, um, started to pull away and I, I needed my license back and I almost got out the car. And my wife said, don't, don't get out the car. Just stay in the car, sit in the car. I wasn't even thinking. And so, um, we're taught all three of us since the time my parents taught us as young, when I, when I started driving, my dad taught me how to handle the stop. And, and it wasn't just to educate. It was because just one bad move, one false move, we, we kind of always understood could cost us our life. Those are the kind of the challenges we deal with all the time. And um, what we do is we learn how to function in a world that considers us to be guilty before innocent. Mm. That's just, I mean, and I'm not, I won't blame anybody on the phone. You know, it'd be easy for me to look at you guys and blame you. Uh, but we won't blame you because that would be wrong. Uh, you know, I, I had to learn this lesson the hard way. When I, I'm going to tell you one more illustration to be done. When my kids were young, um, I'm football, sports, all that. But I, God gave me all girls. <laughs> all girls. <laughs> Sorry about that, bro. <laughs> and I got three toddlers and I got them all. They were playing the offensive line. I was the quarterback. I got them in three-point stands. And they're having fun with me, but they're really not having fun. And then he God says, man, you're raising girls. They don't want to play football. They want to have tea parties. And mm. it was that, that they had dawned on me for a lot of Caucasians. It's not that you're overtly racist. It's just you don't know you've never come into our world. That's exactly right. You, you know, so God, it's like you're raising. I had to start no more football, no more, you know, let's sit down and you can wear your dresses and your hair. And I had to come to their world and learn what it means to think like a woman.
friends, we want to welcome today uh, One Mission TV as our sponsor here at uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. They have been an invaluable partner with us since I've come here to uh, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, what they effectively have done is they took all of our media resources and we put them together in this one neat package that One Mission TV takes care of. They're just doing an admirable job for us and have really taken us to a different level in our media work. Here's some things they've done for us. They've done web design, they can do logo design, designs for print materials, and of course, any kind of video presence and, and recording you'd like to do. And uh, they've really helped us enhance our online presence as they can for you. Great guys, great partners. You will be glad you have done this. They're really a one call media company and I think you'll be blessed by using One Mission TV. And friends, if you want to contact One Mission TV, you can do so at info at onemission.tv. That's info at onemission.tv. I choose, I choose to build relationships with pastors and leaders who are of a different, different ethnicity than I. Mm -hmm. I choose to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, where I came from in Florida, I chose to build relationships with African-American pastors because I wanted to know and understand because where I lived in Florida was just really South Georgia and buddy, it was a prejudiced place. I'm not going to go into all of that, but uh, there were a lot of times my life was placed on the line because of how I responded to my African-American pastor. And I said, man, if they do that to me, I'm, what do you think they do to my other pastors and my friends and my, my brothers and sisters of color? So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's something you have to choose to do. And you're exactly right. Again, you don't know what you don't know. You don't understand it, but we need to understand it. And that's why we're having these communications right now is to help brothers and sisters understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, Larry, I, you know, I've, I've heard some of these kind of stories before and my boys didn't have to grow up with that. Mm -hmm. uh, that, we had to tell them other things to do. Don't be stupid and don't be dumb. You know, all of that, you know, you try to tell your boys and teach them, but my boys didn't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And that, that just, that's heartbreaking to me, bro. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that hurts me. That makes my stomach hurt to mm -hmm. think about having to grow up like that. Mm -hmm. And I believe we can change it, mm -hmm. but I believe it has to start not in the white house, but in God's house. I, I believe that's where it has to happen. Absolutely. Do those, do our governmental agencies need to help us implement that? Yes. You know, we've always heard you cannot legislate morality. That's a truth because you can't make somebody moral by passing a law, Amen. but you've got to have laws that reinforce morality. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to have both. And, I, and we will have, we need changes from the heart in our, leaders and our pastors and we need to recognize the prejudices and the bigotries that reside in our lives and uh, so that's part of what we're doing is trying to expose that and express that uh, in this matter so uh, what are some proactive things that we could do gentlemen I I'm really not I'm not completely lost for an answer but I'm pretty close. You know, I'm wandering in the woods a bit. Uh, what do we do as individuals and churches and, and even as a convention at this time today 
with all this going on within, let's say within our world, Detroit metro area world and Michigan world, what do we do? How do we address this? How do we make a difference in this? Um, I've been thinking about this. Um, I was off social media for getting close to about two weeks. So when it transpired uh, with the news of George Floyd, I was oblivious to it until I had a white pastor who was a friend of mine reached out because he just said he had no clue, like how to address it, what should he do? And so I just said, number one, I just appreciate the phone call. So I think the first step we can take is to listen, is to listen to one another. Um, when you look at the Bible, you look at Job, he's grieving, he's going through something. And for seven days, his friends listened. Mm -hmm. They didn't give any feedback. They just entered into his world and listened. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important. And he shared the story of, he was in Detroit. This was his first time in Detroit. He's from Ohio. He was stopping to get something to eat. And he said he was on 75 Cornelius. You can appreciate this. And Pastor Larry as well. He said, there's this McDonald's that had the golden arches. And he stopped. Well, I automatically knew he was talking about 75 and Mac. Yeah. So he, he walked in and he saw he, everybody was African-American in there. He saw the high tabletops. This McDonald's looked different. His wife went um, to the restroom and the door was locked. Now, we know why the door was locked. He didn't know why. And so he went up and said, hey, uh, did you guys know that the door was locked? And she said, the manager, you have to have the key. And I asked him, how long were you in McDonald's? He said, about five minutes. And so I said, I want you to think about this. As African-Americans, we ask ourselves these questions all the time. What world are we living in? And so you had five minutes. But the reality is, this is as African-Americans, this is what we feel on a daily basis. So number one, I think, listen. Number two, lament. Mm -hmm. Lament. Let's grieve. Enter in. The message translation, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 27, when it says Paul became all things to all men, it says that he entered into their world. And so this is what we've been talking about, entering into each other's world and just lamenting, grieving. And one of the things is, yes, it's sad and we're praying for George Floyd's family, but we don't know George Floyd on a personal level. Right, right. So when we think <clears throat> through the lenses of that was Pastor Larry, that was Cornelius, right. now we can enter in you know, a little bit more and watching the video, uh, I was with another friend of mine and he said, watching the video, he first thought in his mind when the officer had his neck on George Floyd, he said, in a, in a self-righteous way, unintended, he said, well, I'm not that officer. Mm -hmm. And he felt the Holy Spirit saying, but you're the silent cop next to the officer. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And I thought that was so powerful. Yeah, man. Because we, as we talk about justice, the Bible says that's a verb to do justice. So I think when we say to, to my Anglo friends, I would say it needs to be a step further versus just saying I'm not racist. Well, we need to oh, speak absolutely. out against racism. No. Absolutely. And then number three, I think, so we go from listen, lament, then I think learn. I think learn. So enter into this type of dialogue. Let's get educated on both parts as well. I'm even telling our church, we need to get educated as well because we can't just lead from emotion. Although we're emotional, in order to move forward, we have to have these type of conversations. So we need to learn with one another. And so uh, myself and another church, we're going to go, we're a predominantly African-American church. He's a predominantly Caucasian church. We're going to come together and do a small group together on reconciliation. 
So we're going to find people in our church, his church. Uh, there's a curriculum called Be the Bridge, which is about reconciliation. And then lastly, I would say leverage. Leverage. And what I mean by that, all of our churches who have power, leverage your power and let other people speak into leadership. And so it's important for me, and I'm intentional every year to bring a Caucasian pastor in every year. And our church knows why. Absolutely. So I would say for us churches specifically, you know, in our convention, we can pull on each other, utilize resources, maybe even swap pulpits mm-hmm. a Sunday intentionally mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to bring my brother here and he's going to speak from his heart. It may be uncomfortable, but we're in this together. And so I think those are some steps that we can take. It has to become more than just a hashtag because I think even commenting right now has been popularized where it's not costing us anything. Correct. But after this, but in two weeks later, when we think now about our regathering strategy in churches, because that's where it's going to go again. When we think about, okay, now we're back in church, we're going to forget this conversation because it's happened too many times. So what are some practical things as pastors and as churches that we can do? And just like we have a statement on traditional marriage, just as we have a, a biblical statement on our theology, I think we need to have a social justice statement in our churches and how we will respond when matters like this happen again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, Ken, very thoughtful, very well thought out. And, and by the way, I've been to that same McDonald's. I asked the same questions. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm going, what's the deal, Lucille? I don't understand this. Why? Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm in a different world than I live in. Oh. And this is how yeah. – you have to live. And I, I just, I, but I've been exactly there in that same place. And I ask about the key, everything. So I've been there, done that. I you experienced right hand bias. I did. I'm telling you. And I'm, and I was just dumbfounded. I'm going, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. But in that world, it does. Well, gentlemen, listen, we've come to close to the end of our, our time here for this podcast. And we're going to pick this up in our next podcast and i want to continue this conversation and i want to go a little deeper Uh, i want to talk about again uh, ken you gave us a a great uh uh, illustrative outline of how we can move forward on some things Um, i'd like to talk about those maybe in the future and implement some of those right here in our state and see if there's a way that we can get those out to our churches and say once you follow these steps and see if they do not make a huge difference in uh, addressing this is- issue that we have to deal with. So gentlemen, we're going to bring this thing to close, but I want to thank you for joining with us today. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors who have been graciously uh, supporting us, who just joined with us, and that is uh, GuideServe and uh, One Mission TV. Great sponsors. They're great people, and we're glad to have them on board being part of our team. And I want to thank all of our speakers and all of our uh, uh participants today from uh, Roy Henry. Thank you for joining in with us today. Brother Larry Johnson, appreciate it. Ken Nieder, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Cornelius Roberson, thank you, my brother, uh, for uh, giving your heart and wisdom to us and, and Mike Durbin as well. And folks, we look forward to being with us again next week and for as we talk about punching holes in the darkness right here in Michigan. God bless you. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us 
and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness.